Father in heaven, we praise you for this day that thou hast made. We praise you for our forensic justification that your scripture teaches that we have in Christ. We pray that you will prepare our hearts with this as we come into thy presence. We pray that you will work in us by strengthening our faith, by causing us to embrace the God that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, we praise you, Father, that you have sent him, that you love us. And we pray that you will now uh, make our hearts be moved by what you have done with him in our justification. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, in justification by faith, most often you'll hear a seminarian say that the difference between the Roman Catholic Church in regard to justification and ourselves and the Bible teaching is that they confound justification and sanctification, uh, taking sanctification and they they merge it in the justification. Uh, This is a true statement, although what I have found as I dig deeply into this is it's simplistic. So we're going to have to spend two weeks on justification. The first week this week, we're going to look at it as it is a forensic And we're going to look at it as it is also uh, not inherent. So we'll start with the negative and then how it is um, imputed. Those three ideas. And then next week after that, there's and and you might not be used to this terminology, but there's two parts of justification. We're going to use next week to kind of go through that. And, And this is what the amazing thing is. Every step of the way, when we take three steps today. And we take two steps next week. Every single the way, the Roman Catholic Church has a different idea than the Bible on this. And what I'm hoping to do is to show you that the Bible indeed teaches these things about justification that we profess. And so here's the first thing. Justification is forensic. Now, uh, children, boys and girls, forensic is a term you may understand from watching different movies about uh, forensic science, uh, CSI, and you know crime scene investigators, and they talk about the forensic sciences and those things. And so you'll have an idea. Forensic has to do with the idea of the courtroom, the idea of justice uh, being meted out formally within the uh, legis- within the the jurisdictional sphere. And the term justification, the Roman Catholic Church would say is not forensic all the time. We say the term justification as it's used by the Holy Spirit is always forensic. And so I want to show you several places where this is indeed the case. Um, But we could just look at the term in like a Bible study. And that's something you can do with your Strong's Concordance. And you can see that that's the case. But let me show you a couple of the places. Uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 28 will be the first place we look. In order to see this, and I want you to think about this term. Ask yourself, is this forensic? Romans 3, verse 28 says this. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And the question is, is this forensic? Well, when something's forensic, there is a law which is in play. That's what's being People are being judged by. And you can see how the very word law is used here, putting it within the category of a forensic 
uh, idea. And if we just go on to the next chapter, we can see this. And so let's look at the first three verses. What shall we say? This is of Romans 4. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. There's another word, debt, which is used in the court system. You have debts, and the way that the debts are done in this day and in any day is it's done according to a legal document. And there's a, in, you might, children, you're, ask your parents about this. You know, what, tell us about the way that you bought your house, for example. You'll, you'll understand, they'll tell you about their, how there was a contract, and that contract had to be signed, and it was legally notarized by someone within a real estate uh, department. There was a deed given for the property, and that had to be legally notarized by a ward of the court who then files that um, underneath a lien, right? Where you have a debt for that property. When the debt's paid off, you get that deed and, and you have it without any debt. This type of thing is language of the law courts. It's language that's forensic. And you can see how justification is connected to it as the discussion about Abraham has had in Romans chapter four. One more, and then we'll go on. And you'll have to look at the more extensive use of this uh, on your own. But I'm just going to give you a few places so you can see it, understand it, and then we'll move on to the next point. Acts 13.39 is another area. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Here again is the law. And this idea of going before a judge who uh, is the one decreed by God to to find someone righteous or guilty, um, just or unjust. And this is a forensic term. The Roman Catholic Church would say it's not a forensic term. The reason why they want to oppose that, my friends, is because they want an idea, not of a judge with a gavel that goes guilty. They don't want that. They want the idea of a justification that can grow, that can increase over time. Kind of like how we talk about your baptism. I, I pray, when I pray for, for Ethan, I pray that Ethan will, will improve his baptism. Because the idea is this event happened to him, the grace promises are given, but he improves his baptism, the symbol that was given to him by actually himself embracing the promises that were given to him on that day symbolically. And, and this is not how justification works. Justification is like a judge with a gavel. And this is uh, not the conception which the Roman Catholic Church wants because then they will be able to have a sure salvation. And when there's a sure salvation, uh, you're not able to have your people go in for rights um, that would be able to preserve a salvation, which is unsure, which is what they have with confession and other such things. So we're going to look now. 
seeing that it's forensic, we're going to look and, and prove a couple things. We're going to prove that justification cannot consist of inherent righteousness. So children, again, these are hard terms, but I want you to think with me for a moment. Okay, Inherent means from within you. So it comes up and wells up from within you. Remember, I've given you it, and this is the opposite of that term. The opposite of an inherent righteousness is an alien righteousness. And, and I love that term because um, all of the pictures that come to your mind with that, little green men running around, that's okay. It'll help you remember the term. All right? Think about what the little green men are. Right? They're, they're an, another out of this world. They're a stranger. Right? All of these ideas are exactly what we're trying to say about the righteousness that justifies us. It's not from within us. It's outside of us. It's a stranger to us. It's away from us. So, so use that term to your advantage. It's an alien righteousness. Now, that's not the idea. The Roman Catholic Church would not say it's alien. They would say that it's inherent or it's infused. But we'll use the word inherent for this time being. And the scripture proves that it is um, not inherent from several reasons. One, uh, our righteousness, the righteousness that comes up from us is always imperfect in this life. It's always mixed in this life with our corrupted nature. Okay, So it can never be the foundation for which God calls us righteous. And another reason is because our righteousness that is from inherent within us is indeed works. All right. You can't get away from that. It's going to be works. And the scriptures are very clear that there is no works in justification consider at all. It is a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's Romans three twenty eight, And it couldn't be any more clear. And therefore we have to con- have a conception of justification, which totally uh, discludes works at all. And so we cannot confess, therefore, an inherent righteousness. Instead, we have to have one which is free. And the only way to have a free righteousness is to have it given to you. It can't well up from within inside of you because then you have some type of thing to boast for. You have some type of thing which um, can be to your, uh, your account. And so... When we consider all these things that justification in order to be free must be not inherent, but an alien righteousness, it must be given the fact that it must be perfect. And all of our righteousness and whatever degree of it is always imperfect. And the fact that it must be without works, we must reject inherent righteousness. And this, of course, totally does away with the Roman Catholic conception of a infused or inherent righteousness. Next week. I'll be showing you the canons in the Council of Trent, which teach that very same thing. And we'll be remembering this week and rejecting it. And so where do we get this idea then? What is the righteousness we have? It's a righteousness that's imputed. This imputed righteousness is proved in several places. And we're going to look at that. And then I'll open up the floor for any discussion. Romans 5 is the classic place. Romans 5, I'll read it for you, 18 and 19. Therefore, as by the offense of one, 
judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Uh, boys and girls, latch on to that word because that's the opposite of justification. Condemnation is you're damned and you're punished. You're guilty. And justification is you're righteous. You are not just innocent, but you have been given such a reward that you are able to not only go free, but you have a grant to life. And we'll talk about that next week. But listen to it. Condemnation comes upon all men by the offense of one. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Do you see that? For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So do you see how this righteousness is not a conglomeration of inherent and imputed righteousness? It's only and solely imputed righteousness, the righteousness of one by which we are made justified unto life and not condemned. And this is this is so clear in the scriptures. We can find it all over the place uh, we read Romans 4, 3 until the end, showing that Abraham is an example of this. 1 Corinthians is another place I want to open up to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 says this. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is all to us. You see, it's by this union that we have with him that we're given his righteousness. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is another place that's going to express this same idea. And I'm going to read that one for you as well. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you see that? Just as the sin that was imputed from us to Christ is not Christ at all. It's an alien sin to him, but yet imputed to him. So the righteousness of God is made to us. And in the same way must be the same as the sin is to Christ. It's not a little bit of Christ's sin. No, that's heresy. It's completely alien sin, just like it's completely alien righteousness in our justification. And so this gives you an overview of this idea of justification. It's forensic. It's not composed of inherent righteousness at all. It's composed solely of imputed righteousness. And I want you to hear the Council of Trent pronounce a curse upon anyone that teaches this very thing. I'll read it here for you. If anyone said, this is Canon 11, by the way, in the Council of Trent. If anyone says that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the righteousness of Christ or by the sole remission of sins, let him be anathema. That's exactly what we confess. That's exactly what the word of God teaches. And I didn't even give you all the scriptures. I wanted to mind the time.
But here we are, pronounced accursed by this papal church. But this is the teaching of the word of God. And therefore, it's no surprise that we are uh, fighting upon this hill and willing to die upon it. For it is the whole gospel. As soon as this anathema was by the Council of Trent pronounced, the Roman Catholic Church proved itself to be an apostate church. Up until that time, we could have said it was a church mixed with error, having the papal throne upon it. But now we must call it nothing but an apostate church, one which has anathematized the true gospel and which is in league against Christ and opposes him and all that he preaches and stands for. And so we're going to take up next week justification in its two parts. And I'm going to show you from the scripture uh, the two parts of justification. And then we will show the further canons of the Council of Trent, which oppose that and all that we just looked at in regard to the forensic and inherent righteousness being denied in our justification. So uh, that is a quick overview of these three points. Part one of justification. Is there any questions that uh, surround this? We have about four minutes to do so. Any questions in regard to justification? Yeah, it was the late 1500s, 1560s. Yeah, they met for several years. Yeah. yeah. So the Reformation came after that in response to the yes. definitiveness of the Council of Trent. So the Reformation would have started back, uh, it's hard, you know. Exactly. It was like a counter, it was like a counter-Reformation. Yeah. It did, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you had this, if you don't mind me using strong words, this trash that they were teaching that was against justification by faith alone. It had been mixed within the papal church for many, many years since Aquinas, at least probably before that with certain of their teachers. But it never gained council status nor uh, an anathematize until the Council of Trent in response to the Reformation. Great, great question. And, and this was all prophesied. Like we can trace this in the prophecies that there would be one which would rise up from within the church. He would oppose the true gospel, even to the point of killing them. But they would be resurrected. And then, you know, they would go towards the destruction of that beast, that false gospel. And that's a long battle which we're in right now. Very good. Well, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll have a nice uh, 18-minute break. And so let us go ahead and, and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have preserved the true gospel and that you use our forefathers from, uh, from Luther to Calvin to those before them with Huss and, and so many of the other uh, pre-reformation lights and you've given us this pure unadulterated gospel the alien righteousness of jesus christ as the foundation of our righteousness 
And we do anathematize, Father, according to thy word, inherent righteousness. And we proclaim the forensic justification, which is the foundation for the sureness of our salvation. We thank you that we can be sure that we are in Christ and we can find peace in him. We pray now that you will work this into our hearts and especially into the hearts of our little ones. We thank you so much for them. We pray you will bless our service this Lord's Day. Pastor Johnson, as he joins us, and we thank you for the great love that you showed to us through these ordinances. And we do pray you will now do all these things for Christ's sake. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.